Hello, everyone. Today is the official crowdfund launch day of Stephen King's All That You Love Will Be Carried Away, starring John Ennis from Mr. Show with Bob and David, David Fincher's Zodiac, David Lynch's Twin Peaks The Return, and of course, Better Call Saul Season 6. We love to support indie films here at the KingCast, especially when they're Stephen King projects. This adaptation of All That You Love Will Be Carried Away is directed by Bolin Miller, who recently helmed an adaptation of Stephen King's Grey Matter, and also produced Julia Marchese's adaptation of Stephen King's I Know What You Need. Folks, there are, even as we speak, exclusive incentives available on the All That You Love Will Be Carried Away Seed and Spark page, including a link to instantly watch Bolin Miller's adaptation of Grey Matter. If you want to get involved in a killer Stephen King adaptation, then check out the All That You Love Will Be Carried Away campaign on Seed and Spark today. Go check it out. You will not be disappointed. Today's episode is also brought to you by Tor and Nightfire, publishers of Hugo, Nebula, and Locus Award-winning author T. Kingfisher, and they want to tell you about two of Kingfisher's titles. One is called Nettle and Bone, the other one's called What Moves the Dead. Kingfisher has written adventures for both children and adults, and these titles reflect that. Nettle and Bone, which is on sale now, is a fairy tale about a princess, a possessed chicken, and a reluctant fairy godmother on a journey to save their kingdom. And What Moves the Dead is a reimagining of The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe, and that goes on sale this July. So if either of those sound interesting to you, check out your local bookstore, Amazon, wherever you get your books. Check them out. And guess what? We got one more pre-roll ad read. That's right. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and Fangoria is better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com now to... Learn more and subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Today we are talking to a writer, actress, avid social media commentator, best-selling author, a host you've seen on E! News, The CW, and Disney, as an animated character in Ralph Breaks the Internet, She's also one of the writers on a variety of forthcoming HBO Max shows, including The Girls on the Bus, more the upcoming comedy pilot about the mental health care industry, 1% Happy, and and a Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy love story for DC Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Ms. Danny Fernandez. Danny, how are you it's doing today? me. Me and Warner Brothers are just in bed together. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> are you, how are you preparing yourself for writing a comic? Um, I feel like everyone I talk to who's in the comics industry, it's like, you got to talk, you got to deal with a lot of shit. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. you got to, you know, there's, there's a lot of far off stairs from that crowd or oh. did you feel any uh nervousness leaping um, into that territory n- not really i you know i i already turned it in it is it is going off to print 
I didn't. You know, these two characters specifically, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, are so near and dear to my heart. Just two mm-hmm. queer icons that I grew up with that I love that I don't really care what other people <laughs> want or right. think. I mean, maybe I will if I if it's like a tremendous amount of backlash. There's there's not much you can do wrong. I mean, I guess there is, but they're so wild and fun. And they let me just have fun with them. And and that was the biggest thing. It's a it's a short story. It's going to be in the Pride issue, and so it's not necessarily connected to uh, uh, one of their ongoing series. So I, I got to just play with them, and and that was great. And it was a very collaborative experience where I was like, "What am I allowed to get away with?" And they were like, "Let's see." <laughs> and um, and luckily with those two, it's a lot. So yeah, <laughs> it's 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 interesting to me, and and I, I don't want to fan the flames uh, of controversy here, but uh, and, and invite even more one star reviews from here we from go our, our right leaning friends. Oh my god! But it's interesting and very exciting to me that DC's kind of embracing the pride angle because, in my experience, most of the I'd say loudest DC fans are also kind of in that gamer gate. Mm-hmm. you know, the Snyder bros area that would be the ones that would be revolting against inclusion like that. So I, I really do like that, that DC is going like, nah, you know, this is what we're going to do. Here we go. But I also just feel like canonically, like so many of these characters are like the idea that every character in that universe or in the world, like it's the same thing when we're up in space. Like it's so wild to me, like, nope, this person's straight. That's all they would ever do. Yeah. It was like when they were talking about, um, Oh gosh, why did I blank on his name? No, this is <laughs> John C. Uh, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> my birthday twin, my Ralph birthday twin. We were both born May twenty fourth. Oh um, my god, that's why I was thinking about John C. Isn't Riley. that why? Yeah, because we're both in in Wreck It Ralph, and mm. holy yeah, shit, we were born May twenty fourth. It's kind of crazy that our Gemini intertwine. Did you no, get to meet him? Yes, yes, yes. We did. Um, I did their press conference. I did uh, several hosting, different hosting things for oh, Disney, cool. and one of them was moderating the Ralph Breaks the Internet panel, a co- several panels that we did, actually. Hmm. Um, very dapper man. Mm. Very dapper. Always dressed very nice. Um, he, extremely kind of talented. A little mischievous. Uh, I, I I interviewed him once, and this was before the Tenacious D movie came out, and it, it was known that he was in it. <laughs> And he and he was. I asked him if he was going to be the Sasquatch in it because I guess that was the, the thing. And he goes, "No, I'm the I'm the wrang I'm the Sasquatch Wrangler. They brought me in to wrangle the Sasquatch." <laughs> and that's how he answered that question to avoid spoilers or whatever. Yeah, I, I remember him just just the kind of twinkle in his eye when like he got to, you know, uh, I don't know, play around. Well, like a lot of dude. us know him from comedy, but he's such a dramatic actor, which we have seen now, you know, the last decade. But I think a lot of us, at least for me, like growing up, I found him from like Will Ferrell, you know, Mm, like uh, Step Brothers and Talladega Nights and like- uh, um, Boogie Nights. mm -hmm. And and so I didn't realize that he had, that he's such a dramatic actor and so great at it. Um, And I've been watching Winning Time and of course, like that his comedic side is there, but yeah, he comes from drama. Hmm. But we interrupted your your, your uh, answer. Lando Calrissian was who yeah. I was thinking of. Lando Calrissian, like it was just funny that they were. Like, of course, he's 
pansexual. Like, of course he's <laughs> right. going to, he's a, he's sexy as shit. Like, of, of oh, course yeah. they're going to like be with whoever wants to be, you know, can have anyone, will have anyone. Like right. the idea that you would just limit yourself to one thing. And so I think the same thing with like Harley, you yeah. know, specifically, it's like, why? She doesn't seem like the type of person that would limit herself. She seems fun and playful and explorative. And um, so it's wild to me that you would think that even Joker, this is what I probably will get written about. Joker is not in my story, but Joker wants to fuck Batman. Like, <laughs> right. Right? Let's explore this avenue for a moment. <laughs> if Joker is fucking Batman, mm-hmm. is Joker top or bottom in this scenario, do you think? Oh, I, like, is I he don't know. Wa- I feel like that's for their... He, he can okay, let us. Okay, you're writing it. You gotta write I don't... <laughs> Who's I'm leading just, the charge in the bedroom? This really is going to be leaked Batman. on some like DC blog, whatever thing. <laughs> what I'm saying right. is like, explore your, know your own characters. That's yes. what I will say. Yeah. Uh, know your own characters. And I feel like we're, don't put your shit on your characters. Right. You know, like that you love and adore. I have right. little Goku and Vegeta tattoos on me. I grew up with them. I love them. I ended up working for Funimation and, and DBZ, it came full circle and that's why they're tattooed on me. But like, I fucking know Goku. I fucking know Vegeta. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I think Go- there's so many things I could say about Goku because um, I make fun of him constantly and yet he's tattooed on my body and I adore him. So like, I'm not going to put Danny's shit on him, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. And another thing we found out just before recording the show is that you're a big fan of uh, the Twilight Zone. Which uh, I know Eric and I are both really big fans of. I, I you know, I got to ask the standard mm-hmm. question whenever you meet another Twilight Zone nerd. <laughs> is uh, you got a top three episodes? Yes, they do change with time. With the which day. I love. Yes, absolutely. They they change with age. They change with whatever you're going mm-hmm. through. I feel like and one of my top ones. I have art behind me right now of it. Is the Howling Man? I love the Howling Man. Um, nice. I feel like it's a very iconic horror if you love horror because not not all of the Twilight Zone ones have kind of you know they definitely lean into sci-fi but not all of them have like that horror element it's like it starts on a rainy night there's like you know this cult there's this traveler telling you this story and it's like painting this picture and I'm like oh just anytime it's like raining which is never here in LA but anytime (laughs) it is I have to put that on when it's pouring rain because it's just like this howling um which I believe for the voice they actually combined they tried just doing animal and then they tried doing a man and like neither sounded right. So I believe when I was listening to the twilight zone companion, they said that they combined, which makes sense, like a wolf and a man to get that sound of the howl and throughout this like castle. And it's just so, it just tingles all of my horror like tendencies. Um, And then another one would be the after hours with the mannequins. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. and see, I go. I don't go for the traditional time enough at last nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Like I can name the ones that are every uh, eye of the beholder. Sure, sure. I can name everyone else's top three because they're the most iconic, you know, in Twilight Zone history. But those aren't necessarily my favorites, although I respect and love them. Right. I'm big on uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Mm, yeah, uh, which you know was. There's a whole history of that. I won't derail this conversation by laying it all out here. If you're interested, go look it up. 
Um, there's an interesting backstory to that particular episode, but that one and uh, you know, one that's really been growing on me over the years is the very first episode, which mm-hmm. is where is everybody? Yeah. And I feel like when I first really started getting into Twilight Zone shit, it was probably when I was more of a, you know, closer to teenage years. And I remember thinking that one was like sort of kind of lame and not really into it. And over time, I've come to realize like what a fucking ballsy move that is, though, like kicking off your your entire show with an episode where it's just like one guy the entire time. And he's (laughs) talking to himself throughout like. To an insane degree. If you saw mm-hmm. someone talking to themselves at this rate in real life, you would cross the goddamn street. But, <laughs> but he sells it. You know, he makes it work. And um, I've gotten really fond of that one lately and found it's uh, a thing that I like to do with Twilight Zone is fall asleep to it. Mm-hmm. Um, something about the rhythms of it are, are just perfect for putting on it at night and kind of calming down. And I, I guess that's my version of reading a book at night because, you know. I read enough as it is. I wouldn't mind Rod Serling showing up in my dreams. I can't say that. <laughs> he's a, that he's a good looking dude. narrate the hell out of it. I'll tell you that. Very sharp. Very sharp, that man. Also, great politics on him. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Really very, good guy. Mm-hmm, really progressive, really stood for that in a time when, you know, not many people were. And I was going to say my, my final one is um, The Midnight Sun. And of course, nice, it's really nice. dramatic and has like a great twist and turn, but one which is, you know, what you look for in, tw- in great Twilight Zone episodes. But there's a scene in there that really, as I got older, started to stand out for me. It's when this man, it's these two women, it's like, you know, one of the final days on earth. And he comes in and steals their water. Like he breaks in and they think like, you know, this man is going to do something horrible mm-hmm. to us and he's really dangerous and scary. And then he just breaks down crying. And saying that his wife was having a baby and she didn't make it. And the baby only lasted, you know, a couple of minutes. And like, he was just crying saying like, I'm, this is not who I am. And I was like, oh my God, I totally missed, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, and then it turns out they're moving further away from the sun, you know? And it's like, you're into the twist. Like, oh, and then he steps on his, his glasses and all he wanted to do was read. But it turns out like that's not that's not the thing. The thing is in the like the actual episode. Like, yes, the twist, that's how he got like the average viewer, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But the messages were throughout, like time enough at last is not about him stepping on his glasses. You see a man who I think is actually being punished. If you look back at it, because he would rather be in his books than be amongst humans. Yeah. And that's hard for us to understand now. I would equate it to being in your in your phone. Like if you were on yeah, your cell yeah. phone constantly and not he didn't he couldn't stand his wife. He couldn't stand his boss. They treated him like shit, but like Rod kind of even talks about that a little bit. And so I think everyone thinks like, why would this happen to him? And then you slowly realize, like, I mean, you could do a whole episode on on that thing alone, but essentially it was someone who was not partaking in humanity, wanted to be alone with these books, and then, you know, kind of was punished in some way. Because he was punished. He wanted he literally wanted to kill himself. Anyways, you don't don't feel like you have to write me, listener, <laughs> about it. <laughs> but there's a lot of different ways to look at that. And that's how I look at that one is like, because it doesn't make sense. Also, when people are, so, when that's people's favorite, I'm like, why? You like seeing this man suffer? He was treated like shit his entire life. And then he <laughs> right. steps on his glasses when he just wants to read. And that's it. That's, that's the thing. And yeah. it's also like the most, it's one of the most famous 
It's up there with yeah. like Nightmare at 20,000 feet or the yes. monsters are doing Maple Street. Like if, yeah. if you know anything, even like you're, if you read a listicle at one point, yeah. you could, you could uh, list those out. But right. when, uh, when Jordan Peele did the new mm-hmm. zone, obviously you saw people complaining about the messages that were quote unquote being smuggled into it or, you know, that it was like beating Hilarious. you over the head with SJW uh, ideas. And it's like, did you never watch the fucking original show? Like, that's <laughs> yeah. that's entirely what the original show was. That was the whole point of the show, in fact, was to Trojan horse those ideas in on an audience through like the, uh, you know, uh, uh, very pleasing to the palate sort of genre right. flavor. You know, it's it stupid had a moment where politically it was super needed too. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that that was the, the height of the civil rights fight, you know. And, and certainly saw to... some shit in Vietnam that really fucked him up and was, right. you know, still recovering from that. I also feel like same with comics. I mean, uh, Marvel and DC have covered every single war since their inception. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't understand. That's my that's why I'm like, are you a real fan? Like you're writing me, but like surely you've read the past several decades of caught like right. so, or when your character first appeared do you know what they were fighting right <laughs> I think, have you I seen think... some of the <laughs> the panels <laughs> it's right. it's a good point that you bring up because i do think that people can be fans of a thing and also just absolutely not understand it oh you know? uh-huh i mean you see that in almost every fandom where, you know, eventually, like Star Wars being a, a perfect example of this. People love the things they love. They especially love them when they're kids. And then they don't really spend any more time uh, exploring the ideas presented by those things. You know, mm. they say, sort of get locked into the, I don't know, the spectacle of it versus the message. And then forget all that. And then when people start talking about the message, it's like, the fuck are you talking about? I just like the thing with the space laser swords. I yeah. just feel like Superman probably wouldn't want you telling me to go back to my country. Like, <laughs> right. he's not right. even from here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's not from here either. Um. <laughs> Very good button on that. Let's talk about your your Stephen King origin story. When did you first become aware of King as a... I would okay. say two two different things. One would be The Shining, which I never got to actually see in its entirety, I feel like, until I was an adult. But something I did see in its entirety when I was little was The Mist, which I don't know if young people should be seeing that. It was like on TV, I remember. I don't know. It's got an upbeat, happy ending. You know, yeah, that's exactly. something for the whole family. Traumatized me. Like the actual throughout the ending and like, but that was on regular TV, right? It appeared, was it a limited series? No, it was a movie. Wait, are you then, talking about the series or the movie? No. Then when did I, I saw this, was there a series, The Mist TV? There's a series, there was but it came TV even later series. than that. And yeah, it was No, there was good. something before that. I was younger, mm. I swear to God. Mm-hmm. What about the, uh, well- there's an audio book, like a radio drama that was like a... We got to get to the bottom of this mystery. Whoa. I was just looking it up. And you're right, 2007. No, I was not a child then. There was definitely something I saw. It I traumatized you so much that it it went back into your childhood. What you're, was You it? seem like you're... I'm not going to ask your age, um, but I think you're roughly the same age as we are. And... Mm. I, was it not the It mini series? Seems oh, like you would have been prime time, you know, 
age group for that. That would be psycho if I confused those, though. That would be <laughs> really fun. It would, it would be, but, you know, they're both really fun. Okay, well, up. maybe it was not the – but it was a Stephen King limited series that came out. It had to be aughts. It had to be the aughts. Mm, that's Rose Red, maybe Storm of the Century. Storm yeah. of the Century. Maybe that was it. That's I feel like the, that was it. It's a, in uh, New England, and uh, this dude comes in and – and during a big storm, and he's kind of like the Satan guy that spends a lot of the time just sitting in a jail cell that's attached to a <laughs> attached to a little small town grocery store. This was a hundred percent it. Yeah, that was it. There you go. Andre figured it out. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's snowstorm, mist. Yes, that was my introduction. Wow, it really had a lasting effect on me. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I remember being. I remember thinking that it was really scary, though. Yeah. Well, what have you read any King? Like, are you a reader or mostly a viewer? I'm mostly a viewer, especially when it comes to horror. I feel like I haven't consumed as much literature. And nowadays, um, I know I was listening to your Bill Hader thing and he was like, oh, yeah, I don't have time to read. I have people yeah. read to me now, which is audible, which I, I feel oh. like has to count. <laughs> yeah. When you said that, I'm like, holy shit. Like, is, is Danny like He's a high roller? Like, dude. I imagine like, <laughs> I imagine that thing where it's like in like 90 sitcoms where like the, the, the housewife or whatever daydreams <laughs> about being fed grapes by like Fabio and shit. You have somebody, somebody reading to you. Yeah. It's, it's David Morse coming in to read, read dream catcher to you while you fall asleep. So funny. No, when I was listening to it, I related to it so much. Cause I'm like, I'm writing t- I'm trying to write TV for y'all to consume. Right. Um, and so I feel like that's the only way that I actually can consume now is through audiobooks, uh, which can be really great. Um, sure. But uh, no, I haven't, I didn't read a lot of King growing up. So it was mainly, it was mainly TV and film. But did you see the miniseries when you were a kid? Do you have a memory of that? Not when I was a kid. No. Okay. My parents it's not were so really, great as an adult. My I'll parents were really weird and that they're super Catholic. They're super, super Catholic. So we couldn't, we had to listen to like the oldies radio, K-Earth 101. I um, love K-Earth. Um, I love K-Earth. Yeah. We had to listen to oldies radio. I couldn't watch the Simpsons forever. But then I hear, I hear this with a lot of other Catholic kids. Your parents hit a point where they just stop caring. Like they cared until you were like 11 and they're like, I can't fucking do this anymore. And we started watching Simpsons, King of the Hill. We were like, you know, I was watching more of these horror movies. Um, the floodgates opened. The floodgates opened. Yeah. And so I was finally able to consume a lot of horror. I remember my first, the first one that I saw, which still traumatized me to this day, is House on Haunted Hill. Yes. The remake. Yes. <laughs> It was fucked up. There's a whole yeah. scene where they're cutting this guy open and he's alive. Yeah. And they played it. I don't know if it was HBO or Showtime, but my parents got it. And so they would be gone and we would just watch this again because it's, it's, they showed the same five movies again and again. We just watch this again and again and again. It was so scary. I love that movie so much. I was – I when it first came out on DVD, I had already seen it. I saw it in the theater and loved it. And then I was dating a girl that had not seen it. And we were watching it one night and uh, after there's like a scene where it shows the the doctor you're talking about, Dr. Mm-hmm. Vaniket, and he's like walking 
real strangely across like a video screen or something. Yes. They all filmed backwards. That's how they got that weird sort of cadence out of his walk. But uh, we're sitting there watching that. And I just turned to her and I was like, wouldn't it be fucked up if somebody came to the door right now dressed as a surgeon? And she was like, why would you fucking say that to me right now? I was like, I just thought it would be freaky. She's like, don't do that. Uh, yeah. Do you I know love who that was movie. in this? Chris Kattan. Yeah, he I is. Totally Mango forgot. himself in there. He is he is fucking weird in that movie too. Like dialed up to twelve. He's got there's like a, a big coke energy going on to to that that particular form, uh, performance. I from- see a um, a thread here, and that this came out in 1999. Storm of the Century came out in 1999. So 1999 was when I finally was like, oh, I'm I can like they watch let you this. off the leash. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that crazy? That was That's my year. That's a good year. year to get let off the leash, though. That was my year. Wow. I have a theory that I want to put to you just while we're on this subject. Okay. I my theory is that there are like the House on Haunted Hill was um, uh, oh, fuck Eric. What was the name of the production company that was doing this? The the, the like uh, remakes. Uh, uh, it wasn't Ghost House. Dark That's- Dark Dark Moon Dark. Something. Fuck. What was it called? Joel Silver was doing. Yeah. That. You know, um, Gothica was also a part of this. Right. Dark Castle. Dark, Dark Castle. Castle. Dark Castle. Very good. Close. Okay. So, my theory is that there are, you know, like how they say that, like there's Rolling Stones people and there's Beatles people. I think there are thirteen Ghost people and there are House on Haunted Hill people. <laughs> so I'm curious what you huh. just, you know, very quickly what you thought. Like, where do you fall on this debate? I guess I would have to be House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. I mean, it was just so... But I also think it's so... I was listening to other podcasts where people were talking about, like, they only had so many VHS tapes, so they would just keep watching the same movies. And I really think it was like... So I was a I was a Diddy Kong racing person. I was not a Mario Kart on Nintendo 64. My parents didn't get us Mario Kart. We were like the the offshoot i felt like we were the c-list <laughs> whatever games and so I, I was we were diddy kong racing that's what i grew up with and i know people listening are like oh i was a diddy kong racing person too and so mm-hmm. i feel like it's like whatever you had access to became your your thing because we just sure. had, we were so limited you right. know, we didn't have netflix and whatever and so like our three vhs would be like the mask Jim Carrey's The Mask holds a very special thing in my heart because <laughs> that was like one of the ones we had um, you know, it was just the, but I'm sure for other people it would be like liar, liar, or I don't know. Like it, it's just like the ones that you, I was poor. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> Clue is another big one from that time period because yes, it was on HBO Clue. all the time. Yeah. I yeah. was the one person that rented that constantly from Blockbuster. Hmm. It was my, I like to call it like I'm bi and I feel like that was definitely a part of that because everyone on that cast very confusing. It's like Tim Curry, but Miss Scarlet. And then you're like, the maid. But then. Yeah. Right. Yvette? Yvette? Yvonne? Yvette? Something like that. Yvette? Yvette. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely Yvette. I was just testing you. Yeah. Well, Wasn't that very... Dan Aykroyd's wife? I think that's Dan Aykroyd's wife. No shit. I think so. If I knew that, I must have forgotten it. But at any rate, uh, Danny, the, uh, the, the title that you brought us today is uh, the outsider, which we have we have talked about on the show once before, but uh, there is there are so many things to discuss when it comes to the outsider that uh, we have no problem tackling this one again. For anyone who has not 
uh, read the novel or or seen the HBO series on which it is based, uh, would you be willing to lay out the the basic plot of the? Oh my uh, gosh, I can try. Yeah, um, give it a shot. Let's see. You don't got to go beat by beat. Okay. Oh, all right. A there's a, a mysterious occurrence. With no, that's way too vague. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry about spoiling it. Things that happen, and yeah. then there is there, a man, there. and a thing happens. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm not the best person to lay this out. <laughs> okay, er- Eric, do you want to? You want to do it? You want me to do it? At the heart of the outsider, it's kind. It's a uh, kind of a, a criminal mystery thing that you think is going to be fairly straightforward. There's a, a, uh, uh, a series of, of killings, uh, specifically child killings in a small town. And uh, the, all the evidence points towards this one guy who is beloved by the town. He's like the little league coach. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. Uh, but his DNA is at the scene. It's like, he's doing a real bad job covering his tracks. And uh, he insists that he's innocent and even has proof that he's innocent. And uh, a doppelganger situation might be happening here. Um, that That is definitely the broad strokes of, of this. And the, the majority of this is told from the point of view of a detective who was a friend of the guy that was accused of this, that instantly turns on him. And once he sees the evidence and, uh, but then slowly becomes more and more open to the possibility that something supernatural is going on. And his, his old buddy, isn't this uh, horrendous child killer that he thinks he is pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. What, what I miss out. How would you? No, no, no. I think you got it. So Danny, what, what is it about this, this title that you responded to? I think we were talking about, I think we were talking about cat's eye at one point and then Mm. it switched to outsider. And I don't remember why. I remember why. Why what? Why was <laughs> I was it? like, well, I could talk about Ben Mendelsohn. And you were oh, like, oh, yeah, let's right. do it. And I was like, yes. hell yeah. I was yes. like, I could talk about him all day. Right. <laughs> yes. We did well, not. And that's something, something to point out is that, you know, The Outsider is a very recent King book that was like instantly adapted to a uh, limited mm. series on HBO. Mm-hmm. Very high quality <laughs> production value through the roof. Uh, Jason Bateman uh, is in it. And Ben Mendelsohn, as you, as you mentioned. And it, it's a pretty fucking great series. It, it may be an episode or two too long. They stretched it out a little bit. But mm-hmm. uh, but on the whole, it's a really like top tier triple A adaptation of a King property. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it feels like a lo- it felt very true detective, super true detective. I actually yes, think some of the same people much. worked on it that were also worked on The Wire and The Night Of. And like those are all um, – of a piece. Like that be, yeah, H, no, HBO, it being at HBO and same with oh, True sure. Detective, it, it felt perfect. It felt up their alley. And um, Jason Bateman actually directed the first two episodes. He might have done more than that, but I know he at least directed the pilot, um, which he's a large part of. I like that he also was behind the scenes with this uh, limited right. series as well. Mm-hmm. I love that the the pilot is one of the best hours worth of like Stephen King adaptation ever i think like uh, every beat is perfectly nailed uh it hooks you it's loyal to the source material bateman is just fucking killing it in this mm-hmm. in, in this the, the, the position of a guy who's been accused of something he didn't do and like you know you really don't know whether you're not you're rooting for him yet and then the inevitable occurs and he gets shot uh yeah. but 
Uh, yeah, spoiler warning, he is he is assassinated uh, yes. by an outraged family member of the dead uh, boy. And uh, and that's when you realize that maybe the the that he wasn't the bad guy for a lot or a lot of the people realize it. They, there's already mountains of evidence. And that's something that's great about this, because it starts off almost like a, a a locked room mystery where it's just like, how could this impossible thing be true? Right. How right. can this guy, his DNA is all over the crime scene. It's not just you know, oh, uh, a hair is found or whatever. It's something easily plantable. There's like semen, saliva, blood, everything that could, there's no way that this could possibly be anybody else, but he proclaims his innocence. And also there's video footage of him at a conference at the exact time of the disappearance of this child and the, the murder of this child, uh, you know, and it's something like a two hour drive away. So there's no way Mm -hmm. he could be in both places at the same time and so it's like could it be a twin thing could it be you know what is it and then you know ultimately obviously spoilers it's revealed that there's this entity which is the title character the outsider that can very slowly uh uh, turn into a a person after uh, touching them physically so it's kind of like a slow t1000 almost right but he like on a molecular level will turn into these people and be able to get away with um, any sort of crimes. And this pr- thing is, we, we've discussed it on the show before. He's kind of this Pennywise-esque mm-hmm. thing, but instead of feeding on fear, he feeds on grief. So it's not about the act of killing an innocent kid or, you know, need he needs to eat people or whatever. It's like he is doing the max amount of damage and kind of behind the scenes, uh, you know, influencing uh, the grief cycle to be uh, uh, more and more extreme. So it's like he he feeds off of the assassination of Terry Maitland just as much as he feeds off of the grief of the family, you know, mourning their, their lost son. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is, you know, this really great disturbing uh, villain um, that feels at once both like a Stephen King uh, mainstay, but it's also different enough and, and deep enough and more complex than just, you know, he scares you and he, you know, he feeds off fear. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. I think another cool thing. Um, so this obviously has Holly Gibney who's in other yes. Stephen King works and Stephen was like, Oh, I'm okay. If she's completely different, just like keep her name, you know, yeah. essentially. Cause she's not the same Holly from Mr. Mercedes or, but like what was fascinating is I was actually watching a breakdown um, and someone had a theory that the outsider, because at the end, when Ben Mendelsohn's character is asking Ralph is asking Holly, like, how did you know? And she said, well, an outsider recognizes an outsider. And they were like, I think that the outsider is actually a reference to her Mm. and not necessarily because then they kill the quote unquote, kill the outsider, the entity. Um, But it was very much the end of this was set up that because the, she was in the post credit scene Um, that she was like going to go on. And like, I find that fascinating. Yeah. 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 I'm surprised they didn't move forward with the second season. I don't know if it was like COVID related. Also, when I went back and saw that I watched this two years ago, I felt sick. I was like, I can't (laughs) believe it's been two years. Yeah. It feels like I, I, I went to a, I went to an early screening, I think, of the first two episodes. Eric, didn't you go too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is like um, really early on. Matter of fact, funnily enough, the very 
first thing we ever recorded for the Kingcast was something that never aired, but it was our trial run to see if this would oh, work. Oh, that's right. Was us mm. right after watching this, which is cool because they screened it in a theater, you know, with the crowd. The first two episodes, so they screened it like a mini movie, yeah. essentially. And then we went back to your place and we like did a conversation about it. So I still have the audio of that, but uh, you're going to need to pay us a lot of money for for that to ever see the light. God, I would hate to hear that. No, (laughs) but that must have been what, like January of 2020 thereabouts, January, February. Yeah. Fuck. But it feels like six years ago, dude. Yeah, it was a different world. (laughs) It was pre COVID. Yeah. No shit. I want Uh. another thing about Holly. I want to point it because I did not read the book of this, but I guess in the book, she kills him with a sock filled with balls called a happy slapper. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That did not. Uh, the happy slapper didn't exactly make the transition. Yeah. That it. was something she learned from Bill Hodges. That was something yes. that he, he had. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, maybe okay. they didn't have the rights to the happy slapper. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the happy slapper rights are notoriously expensive. That's, that's one of those things though. I think it, it like works on the page. Yeah. But if Cynthia Erivo had come out with like a, a fucking sock filled with marbles or something it was like, this is a happy slapper. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know. I think people would have laughed that off of television. It's just like, it's a, it's a, a visual and a combination of words that just does not work in a literal sense. I don't think. Well, I guess but, I have a question for y'all since you've done all of his works. He, Stephen King feels pretty, he doesn't feel like he needs everything to be like even just watching the featurette that he spoke and he spoke about the outsider and, you know, obviously collaborated with the team at HBO, but it seems like he's pretty much like, yeah, if things need to be changed, that's okay. And like, yeah, he's very hands off. Yeah. I don't think he cares much. I think he's looking at scripts and, and if it's not just an all out disaster, it's kind of like, Hey, that's your deal. I mean, when he was on the show, we talked about this and he said that essentially he wins either way. It's, mm. you know, cause people, people either say the, uh, well, the book was better right? or the miniseries is great. And they say, you know, Stephen King does it again. You yeah. know, it's it's not really his fault when they uh, when they go off the rails. But I, yeah. I would like to talk a little bit more about Mendo. I'm a big Ben Mendelsohn fan. And that is that is correct. That is the 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 hook that that sold this one. Tell me about your your interest in Mr. Mr. Mendelsohn. Like, what are you? Your favorite think, performances when you first saw him. Let's get into this. I think what's so fascinating to me about him and something that I think he agrees with is that he kind of became a quote overnight success at 40, even though he's mm. been acting since he was 14. Right. So like if you look at his IMDB, it is stacked. I mean, this man has been acting, he's been working his entire life. Yeah. But it wasn't until American audiences did not really become too aware of him. I would say except for the past maybe decade or so that he, and I think he agrees with that as well. Cause I was listening to interviews with him. He's mainly also played. He, th- this is literally a quote from his IMDb, which I think it's funny. It's like in the <laughs> trivia section, it says often plays arrogant, unlikable and borderline sociopathic <laughs> characters who are never as clever as they think they are. <laughs> I don't know how he feels about that. I, I bet he would say, yeah, like, yeah, sure. But like right. typically he, He's playing like the black sheep, the fuck up, the villain, you know, and um, definitely Animal Kingdom, and, yeah. um, and 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 then what I was mainly became really aware of him was in Rogue One. Granted, right. at the time I was kind of distracted by Diego Luna, 
And I was like, who is this fine ass <laughs> Latino man? I'm very and so when I, I I wasn't aware of my attraction to Ben Mendelssohn until he was in this role, which is very different than his other roles. And this yeah. one, he plays a likable protagonist. We're rooting for him. He is not the villain. But um, he makes a very crucial error at the beginning and uh, and essentially spends the rest of the the thing trying to make up for it, yes. which is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it just, so it is a very soft, grieving father in this one. And I don't know. I just felt he, he felt very, it just felt different than purposely, you know, shot in a different way that would make you like him, be rooting for him as opposed to when he has been a quote unquote baddie. I just didn't, my, I just was focused on the actual protagonist of those movies if that makes I, sense. Yeah, I think I think the first time I became aware of him was in Animal Kingdom, mm-hmm. which I think is like late aughts, maybe. It's 2010, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So right around then. And then Killing Them Softly, where he's like the dirtiest motherfucker that's ever uh-huh. been in a movie. He's just right. like, like you can smell him on the screen in that movie. Um, and also, I love that movie in general. It's... It, it still seems like it hasn't found its audience, but uh great one. He what, was in uh, the place oh, be place, place beyond, beyond the pines, pines which is Dark Knight Rises. He's in, yeah. you know, he's in a lot of shit. But uh, Rogue One is probably yes, the one that um, most people know him for. Yeah, that yeah. launched him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, he's that great almost seventies style actor where he's yes. a character actor who can also be the leading man. He takes leading men roles now, but he's also very happy to go and be, you know, the fucking scroll in mm-hmm. <laughs> in Captain Marvel or, you know, pop up in uh, as the, the bad guy in Ready Player One or whatever, where he'll have these juicier, meatier character actor roles. Right. So I don't know that's I, I'm fascinated by those kind of actors that that get there, that, that can straddle the line between character actor and, and leading man. Uh, he beat out the cast of Game of Thrones when he got his Emmy. And that was like a really big, he beat both Kit and um, Dinklage. On this role? Uh, no, 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 no. For, um, was it Bloodline? It might have been. Oh, hmm. right, right, right. Uh, fuck. It was Best Supporting yeah, Bloodline. Act. B- Bloodline, I think. That's kind of crazy. That <laughs> The height, like Game of Thrones at its height, you know, like that's, yeah. that's kind of wild to me. He commands when he in every scene that he's in, you kind of like can't take your eyes off him. So to have him getting to play this character, which is so different than some of the scummy (laughs) villainous people that he normally plays. I do hope to see him in more things like this. I would say his, um, you know, Captain Marvel, he's definitely more of a protagonist, but he gets to be goofy and whatever. He gets to be goofy, but like, I would like to see more of that. Like, I don't know this like dad side right. of him for my for for research purposes. I don't. Um. <laughs> you want to you want to see a showered Ben Mendelsohn? Is, I think is what you're asking for. Yeah, he is kind of has it. It's together. interesting because you you said you, you know you you said just a moment ago you're you're attracted to Ben Mendelsohn. Um, not not a classically handsome actor. Do you think it's that charisma that we're talking about the the commanding presence that has your attention or? I think he also doesn't give a fuck. 
Yes. I don't, oh, he and, doesn't give a fuck. Though. And he really doesn't. And I listened to these interviews with him and even with acting. I mean, I think that's such a blessing because they, in one of the interviews, they were asking like if he compares himself to others. And I think he was just like, no. <laughs> I think he was just like, I don't really, like he's getting roles, you know? And, and that's why he's been so successful because someone else that's worked that long and took that long to quote unquote make it like in what we could, because there were years he said where he did not work. So even though it felt like he was, booking constant work in Australia, he also was out of work. And it took him into his 40s until he was on our radar and was booking Star Wars, Marvel, whatever. And so he spent his entire life. And you kind of have to be in that mindset because if you care too much, you you won't be able to make it. Rob Zombie has been summoned, so that can only mean one thing. It is mid-roll ad read time. And this week's sponsor are the good folks over at HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit service. HelloFresh brings farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and easy to follow recipes right to your door. That means you don't need to worry about forgetting a key ingredient at the grocery store or buying too much and letting it go to waste. Everything you need comes in the box and all you have to do is cook it up like the fancy little chef you are. I particularly like that they allow you to customize your experience so you're never stuck with the food you hate. Like me, I can't stand seafood. So when I tried HelloFresh, I got them to use proteins I do enjoy, like chicken and beef. If you're a vegetarian, they got you covered too. They will tailor the foodie experience to your taste and make it as simple as possible to make your delicious meals at home. Fish or the chicken of the sea? I didn't know we had Jessica Simpson on the the show. That's great. <laughs> the newest ad read guest. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start bringing in special guests to do these ads. <laughs> to do the ad reads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go to HelloFresh.com slash KingCast16 and use the promo code KingCast16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. That's a lot of the word 16 in there over and over again. But just so it's drilled into your, your head, HelloFresh.com slash KingCast16. Use the code KingCast16 and you get once again, 16 free meals and three free gifts. I'm intrigued by this three gifts business. Uh, I, I didn't get no three gifts, but they did uh, send me like a week's worth of food. So I can't complain. I think that's the three gifts was those three meals. Oh, really? That's what I'm guessing. Mm, I think that it, it says 16 free meals and three free gifts. So you're going to be what getting those meals and gifts. And uh, I didn't get no gifts. So if you do sign up for this, make sure to let us know what those gifts are. Because now I'm going to be up all night, like literally just thinking about what these gifts could be. The food is good as hell. I would just want to get that in here. Oh, yeah. As somebody who likes cooking, but isn't somebody who does it expertly or feel like they do it expertly. This thing made me feel like I'd actually been like some culinary school. I'm like, Oh, I can cut up potatoes and make little potato wedges. And like, it's like, Oh, that's just, that was something that, that feels like, like I would need to like learn how to cut the wedge right or something. And that's not how it was at all. It was just like, Oh yeah, I I don't know. Your first Michelin star. I got out of my own head is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Congrats on that. You want to get back to the show? You know what? I think we should probably get back to the show. What do you think about the idea of the outsider as a as a monster? Particularly frightening? Not so much. Like, did this series scare you, or was this more of like a more of a thriller thing than a horror thing? I don't really get 
scared as much anymore. So I feel like I'm not the best gauge. I did like the messed up face that they kept showing. I actually did th- mm-hmm, think sure. that that came across really well. One thing that I like about this is similar villains that we see that can kind of um, mimic people that you care about. I like that. I'm one of the people that actually loves It Follows. I think it's great. I don't know why so many of my friends don't like it. There's something wrong with them. But um, that was in It Follows. It can mimic the people that you love and and look like them. And I, I just find that so terrifying and something so scary about someone taking your identity and doing something horrible with it. And there's literally no way that you could prove them wrong. Like yeah. I, that just, that to me is terror. Identity theft as an adult is terrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the, <laughs> right. There's also, I mean, I'm we're, sorry, we're in, that, that got fun. I'm sorry. That got funnier. The more I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's that also that whole other angle of, you know, of being the wrongfully accused part to this. And like, sure. what do you say when somebody accuses you of not, not only murdering a child, but like sexually abusing the child and killing it. Like there is no worse crime, right? There is, yeah. you know, that, that is like an instant. Once those words and that accusation are out of, even if Terry Maitland didn't get shot there, look at the world right now. Once the world, the, the words are out and the name is forever associated with that, his life is over. Yeah. Like, yeah. No matter what, he could have irrefutable proof, you know, and they could catch the real killer. It doesn't matter. That dude's life is always going to be associated with that, with that thing. And, and so there is something kind of, you know, uh, terrifying beyond the monster in this. And that's like, what, how does your life change and how do you react when, you know, something that is not true about you is said uh, at such a level that there is no coming back from it? You know, I don't know. It's fascinating. I'm curious, Danny, you know, Stephen King based The Outsider on a a, a bit of um, Hispanic folklore. About El Cuco. El Cuco, yeah. Or yeah. El Cucuy. Or, you know, there's a there's a number of different names, actually. Um, was this something you were aware of when you, when you were a kid or not so much? No, uh-uh. My only, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of different folklore that we had, but like, um, no, I, I wasn't... Um, aware of this. And so I, I do like that they talk about this or Baba Yaga or like what, like that each culture has its own right. boogeyman. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like the idea that this thing has been around for a century or more centuries, you know, on this, on this earth. I find that so fascinating. And like another thing that I guess as, as a writer, one an actress, but like something that really bothers me is in horror movies, just people's inability to believe in the unknown. Mm -hmm. I just find it. And I run into these people. Like I watch these horror movies. I'm like, really? You don't think that there's a, your child is drawing somebody upside down. Like you still (laughs) don't, like does that not drive you nuts? And so we think when we watch these movies, these people don't exist. Surely they would move. These people do exist. And I have run into them and I've been in writer's rooms with them because when we're trying to write horror stuff, they'll, they just don't believe. And I, I just find that so I was writing on a show about um, past lives and a conversation that we kept having was some people viewed it as uneducated or anti-science. And I was just like, 
so many cultures believe in reincarnation. It's wild to me that you're willing to listen to our straight white founding fathers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just right. because our country was based on Christianity and you're willing to believe that a man walked on water and came back from the dead, but like not past lives. <laughs> or even even if you don't believe in that, like it's just wild to me that you're so unwilling to believe other cultures that you think like your your culture, your belief is like the only one has to be it. So anyways, what I'm saying is when you're watching the horror movies and you're like, why don't they move? Why don't they? They're so dumb. And it's like, no, I've actually run into people that just don't, that just don't believe in ghosts or, or anything. Right. And do you, you just believe in ghosts? Oh, a hundred percent. Have you ever seen one? I have experienced many supernatural things. I used to joke oh. that I'm, I'm haunted. I had to stop saying that because I don't think it's great for my dating life. <laughs> <laughs> Probably but not. Bas basically, my friends. Um, I remember one of my friends, I don't, I don't know if you all know her, Allie Gertz, writer. She's also on, sure. on Twitter. Um, she was having a Halloween party one year and she's like, oh, we'll have a Ouija board and we'll have some fun. And I was like, if you have a Ouija board and I'm there, a ghost is going to come out. Like, it will not be fun. <laughs> I just feel like I have a very strong connection to my ancestors that I truly believe. Not only do I feel that way, I feel they're fucking constantly like – knocking me, pinging me, whatever, like trying to get my attention. Is that annoying? I think it's annoying how protective they are. Some people would view that as helpful, but they're so protective. Maybe I want to make a bad decision. Did you ever think <laughs> of that? <laughs> it's bad choice Saturday, lady. Like, come on. They Spit are this one out. willing. And I, I truly think somebody up there, somebody in my life was a housewife, I can tell. Because... <laughs> Because <laughs> probably my grandma, my abuela, because um, the way that they are so adamant about my career, like career, and I'm like, I'm trying to date, I'm trying to meet people. They're like, absolutely not. <laughs> how is so this? How is this being communicated to you? Oh my god! Like think, like things just happen. Like I, I was set to go on this great date with some like. Even this weekend, we got tickets to Disneyland. It was going to happen. And I'm like, great. Backs out last second. And I'm just like, I'm not going to lie. A part of me was like, don't get pregnant, Danny. Don't get pregnant. <laughs> so I feel they're like, oh, we're just going to take care of that. And um, which I know people will be like, oh, that's the flakiness of LA. But it's like, no, there are things that happen that are like unexpected, like right. a flight getting canceled or like something like just – things that shouldn't happen. And I feel, I just feel they're so adamant about me not settling down right now. And it's weird. And so I'm open to it. But I'm going to be just honest. This doesn't sound like, but none of this sounds like, you know, you, oh, you're, you're interpreting it as being more focused on, on you being career oriented or your job. Whereas it, kind of sounds like you're just getting cock blocked by a lot of ghosts. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. That's like uh, and this is the tiny bit that I'm telling you right now is not like how much I've dealt with the last couple of years that my friends know, but they'll definitely cock like they'll literally cock block me cuz I'm like I'm attractive and successful. I should if I want to date someone, I should and they're like no, literally no. And they'll just like pull people away and they'll like no, I I like won't even I don't know. They'll get in like a car accident. Something crazy will happen. 
it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I've literally told my friends all these stories. And that's not the only thing they do. They send me a lot of signs. I like to pick signs. And and by that, I mean, like, I'll be like, you know, today, I really want to see a hummingbird. I'm having a really hard time. And like, I'm just going to use that. Like, so if you show me one, and that it'll just it'll just come in. It might be like the last hour of the day, and I'm like coming in from my car, and like I see a hummingbird, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" If I had such powers, <laughs> what I would do, I would be trying to trip up the the spirits to some degree. You know, if you can, if you can say like, "I really want to see a hummingbird today," and manifest that, I think if it were me, I would try to trip them up and be like, "I want to see." a boxing glove sitting near a pie today and see if that could happen. For sure. You know? But yeah, um, I think you have to believe it. But I do think that I'll, I'll give one example just to show I had an actor that I was dating that ended up cheating on me. And I am so kind and like soft heart. I have a very soft heart. Don't cheat mm-hmm. on me. I'm very sweet and loyal. And my people are like, he, he was up for, he was supposed to come back on like his show, the show that he was in. And I remember he wrote that he got dropped, like he got cut out of it. And I was like, oh, interesting. That's, <laughs> fascinating. That, I don't know what they did up there, but maybe you shouldn't have a <laughs> uh, high five to y'all. Thank you. I was like, whoa, that was immediate. Great. Thank you. you know, if you want to cut more of his stuff, feel free. Um, that's what I mean this- about protective. They're like, oh shit, really? Okay. We'll call your agent. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you but got a premiere like coming up, do you? Too bad you also got a scandal coming up. Boop. Yeah. Email deadline. <laughs> My question is, why didn't they put that guy into a car crash before that you guys got so, together? That is so – I ask myself that all they, the time. I, I think they were sleeping on the job that day is all. They were. I guess they can't protect me from everyone or else I would literally never get laid. <laughs> <laughs> you'd you'd be, be the, the girl in the, in the plastic bubble. <laughs> I would literally never get laid. Um, but yeah, they – It's a great idea for a rom-com. By the way, they my yeah, they're <laughs> the ghosts the ancestor goes are just cock blocking you every fucking moment it's of the insane. day, but also fixing careers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd be, I I'd, do, I'd watch the shit out of I, that too. I have one. I did go and see Oprah's psychic. So there's like a big. Wait, who is her psychic? I'm not telling you that on this. Thing. <laughs> oh, is it like a, um, is it a secret? I don't know. I know that she's referral only. I know I had to like, I heard about her from a manager that I had to like then go. It was like a whole, I had to go under a bridge and through. A <laughs> this is to, some death becomes her shit. Like, you know, I had to knock get- three times in the magical forest. And then, right. but anyways, so- one of the things. I was going to say one of the things she told me is she was like, you know, she was telling me about my career, which is like mainly what I wanted. I'm like, please <laughs> tell me, tell me about this thing or whatever. Like I have, aside from my list of credits, I have other, I have other, I'm like Ben Mendelsohn. I have other things I want to do, other, other goals that I have not reached yet. And um, sure. that just keep eluding me. And she was telling me about that, but then she was like, oh, there's this this baby, there's a baby that wants to come down. Like it's, it's, it's ready. And so I feel if my people what? are cock blocking me, that's why. 
because mm. she was like, whenever you meet your person, I'm just t- like, you do whatever. Like, obviously we have free will, right? And right. so she was like, you, I'm just telling you because you're very focused on your career. Like if this, if you meet this person, this baby's ready to come down like fast and ready. And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> damn, well, fucking wait. Your mom had to wait like a fucking decade to get to where you can wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I went to see uh, this was for an old pa- podcast that I did uh, where it was me and my friend Katie. We would go and do exceptionally stupid things and then talk about them on the air. And stupid was kind of a catch all term. Mostly these were things that we had never done before. We're, we're always curious to do. But usually there was some sort of element of. We, we were skeptical about them. Like we went to a furry dance party once. Love Had it. a fucking blast, by the way. Um, and one time we went and saw uh, a psychic together and had her like do a joint reading on our, our on our cards or whatever. Um, this is in a place in Austin that's that's will be familiar to anyone who's from Austin. If you mm. if you go up 35, a little just barely north of downtown, it's uh, it's it's on, it's the, on the lower deck. Is it off the lower yep, deck? Yep, 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 yep. I know exactly where you're talking about. I drove by this thing a couple of days ago. I think uh, I think that lady's gone now. It looked oh, like no. the whole building was was locked up, which was kind of a bummer because that's always been there. And uh, we had a fucking blast talking to her. But it was very mysterious. Like we walked into the house, we went into a vestibule and had to wait for her to come in. And then she like led us to a parlor and all of this was, was there any element of that in your experience? Like, you know, this sounds like a high class, you know. Yeah, but she sees everyone and she told me like she, I mean, I, there's like Oscar, I don't think I'm supposed to name them, but she's seen like Oscar winning, like a lot of her people are sure. now like Oscar winning people. And she was like, they were where Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn. I honestly, <laughs> I think everyone has seen her. I really do. I'm like, oh, this is like a secret that I am finally in. Um, but was and, it in a public space? Was it in No, 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 no. House? It was at her place. And I, I was so adamant about going to see her and being like in her energy so she could read my energy. And she was like, this table, the table that I was at, she's had forever. And she was like, there are Oscar winners that have been at this table. But when I was, I was kind of lamenting to her that I felt like it's so hard to break in acting wise. I clearly have writing wise, but like, um, the same thing happens in writing. They keep picking the same, once you're in, you're in. And like, they keep kind of picking the same people, especially from the demo that you're in, which is really unfortunate. Um, And she was like, well, these people, these people were where you were too, you know, which I knew, but I've seen several psychics and they have really said stuff that I feel only a psychic would know. I know sure. this one that came heavily recommended from a girlfriend of mine that I'm seeing in two days that she she went to see the psychic and she was like, do you have a friend named Jen? And she was like, y- y- yes. And she was like, did her mom pass away? Because she has a message for her. And she was like, okay. And she took the message, but she was also like, you know, I paid to like, <laughs> can I hear about my future? Like, that's <laughs> great for Jen. <laughs> But what's funny is when people are not as – one of my friends is not – his dad passed away, but he's not um, very spiritual. He doesn't really believe in this stuff as much. Your ancestors will try to get to you any way they can. So if they know you're not going to fucking go and talk to a medium or psychic, but your friend is, they're going to be like, oh, wait, 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 hang on. It's like the scene in Ghost. Huh. 
you know, where it's like they're all trying to talk to um, Whoopi. It's like they're going to be like, hey, hey, I have a message because my person doesn't get believe in this shit. So can you hmm. but can you pass this on to them? So I thought uh, that was crazy that she had a message for her friend's mom from her friend's mom because her friend is not into that. Yeah. I'll be the skeptic here. That sounds to me like she booked the appointment and then she fucking pulled up Facebook and, and did, did a, a quick thing and saw, you know, and found, found something, you know but what I, I feel mean? Like I'm, who, ca- like who, I don't want to hear about my friend's mom and my thing. Yeah. You know? But it's a way for, I, there's, there's been a whole exposés and articles and stuff that have debunked a lot of this. I'm, I'm not saying that your experience is wrong. I'm just saying that I'm the skeptic here going, yeah, there's all these tricks. Nightmare Alley is, is all about this, you know, recently, you know, where you, you find a, a common thing that, that feels very personal or are able to, you know, to, to, to pull these kind of psychological manipulations. I'm, I'm not on board with this stuff. I'm not saying that, that, that this couldn't possibly ever be true. I'm definitely you know, kind uh, opens the wrong word. I am obviously the skeptic, you know, of, of the three of us here, but um, you know, I want it to be true. I guess that's, that's the thing is I'm not open to it, but I want it to be true. It's the same I, thing with ghosts. I want it to be true, but well, like, I think, just, I, I, I think, can't. Yeah. Go, well, go, finish no, no, go ahead. No, no, that's all right. Well, I, I think that, I think that I'm more up the middle on this because on the mm-hmm. one hand, I'm very skeptical of it. On the other hand, I think that, Sometimes you can hear a thing and it will it will inspire you in such a way that will get your mind locked in on it. It becomes a goal. It becomes something right. you work towards, whether or not you're doing it intentionally, you know, uh, even even if it's like a subconscious thing that will will can sometimes allow you to will it into existence. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I so I sort of feel like, well, on the one hand. I know all about the carny tricks that go along with with psychics. On the other hand, if we're talking about two consenting adults engaged in a, a business exchange, which is what this is, you know, uh, yeah. I'm paying you to say some things to me. You know, if you believe them and whether or not the psychic actually believes them, if they're able to implant something in you that that leads you to manifesting some sort of a, a success or a relationship or whatever it may be. Didn't you kind of get your money's worth? What you see I what will, I'm saying? Yeah. What I will say though, um, there's frauds in every yeah. profession. There's yeah. frauds in my profession. <laughs> there's people that shouldn't be working that do or that lie and get ahead. And like, there's, there's frauds in every profession. And so, sure. but I feel I, I don't know. I feel I have such strong energy that I can tell. I also take what is helpful. Um, right. Sure. You're not letting it influence you negatively. Right. Yeah. Or I literally will disagree. I've literally disagreed with psychics. They do not <laughs> like that. I've literally, they're like, you're, you'll meet your person. And I remember in 2020 or something, they were like, you'll meet your person. And, or no, it's 2019. They told me in like two or three years. And I was like, no. I don't accept that. <laughs> I was just like, really? Like, don't I, don't you see all the cock blocking that's going on around? Me? I was like, no, no. I'm. You know what? I'm going to go out right now. I will meet someone right now. I I, I will. Yeah, I've definitely disagreed with them. Um, right, right. So, anyways, I did want to answer y'all y'all's question about like the haunted thing. I just wanted hmm. to, to say that I have been in a lot of real life haunted places. That includes the Whaley House, which is in San Diego. I've been there quite a bit. Actually, when you go to school there, when you're in like fourth grade, they take you there, even though it's one of 
Travel Channel's most haunted houses. Um, yeah. has a huge history. So they, I think it's they funny. love that shit. Yeah. We have to go there. Um, I know Regis Philman said that he spent the night there and saw like a woman crawling up the walls. Um, Regis? Yeah, yeah, yep. Before he was, uh, before he was who he was, when he was just a reporter, when he was just a reporter. It's so Um, funny to me, the idea of Regis Philbin (laughs) dealing with the sight of a phantom woman crawling up the walls. Oh my God, but I would not give that footage of that. I also, I did spend the night Bob Baker's Marionette Theater um, because I was shooting a horror comedy pilot with Fangoria. Um, and so I spent the night there. It is very fucking haunted, um, but in, in, in a nice way because he was a, n- a nice man. Um, I've been a lot of places. I've been. A, I've. I've spent the night or been in a lot of haunted places. So I do feel. I personally, yes, believe in ghosts and the paranormal. You know, we were talking about Okukui earlier, but it, um, in fairness, that's more of a Spanish thing, whereas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think El Chupacabra would probably be the yeah. uh, the 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 more um, or La Llorona. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I could never say it that that beautifully. So, <laughs> so thank you, La um, Llorona. Like, La Llorona. That's yeah. That's uh, about as good as the I crying can do on woman. That. Yes, yeah. the the two L's are wise, Scott. Just remember that. Yes, Llores. <laughs> Tortilla. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm not that bad. I I I, I speak a little Spanish, but um, we do live know. in a city that has a, right. a Guadalupe Street that has only ever been pronounced Guadalupe. Yes, since I've been here. So when I fucking when I moved here, I was like, why do y'all call? Why is it called Guadalupe? And they're like, well, that's the name. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Guadalupe. Guadalupe. Like, yeah. what do you? We have Los Feliz. That's what we call there. it. That's uh-huh. how Los Feliz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, what's Wait. the prena- what's the correct pronunciation? Or Feliz or like Los Feliz. You know? Yeah. Right on. Um white people, am I right? <laughs> I forget I forget what question I was even getting to. And the- oh, here here it is. Um do you believe in you believe in hauntings, but do you believe in um stuff like that? Like Oh, demons? Ch- chupacabra, Bigfoot, La Llorona, mm. or however you just said it. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> any, a, anything along those lines, like cryptids, basically. Mm. Ooh, I'm not. I'm open. Or the outsider I'm, itself. I'm open to anything. I don't. Being being Catholic, I feel demons were like drilled. In fact, actually, right. now that makes sense of why I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies because my parents said it was letting the demons in. Mm. Um, in fact, they still kind of say that, like. Don't bring that demon stuff in here. <laughs> Ouija board, definitely. Uh, I did not use until I was an adult that I still right. don't really fuck around with those too much because yeah. of my upbringing. But now right. I actually don't know if I fully – I'm open to the idea of like demons and, and things. But just the way that I believe in, let's say, past lives, like I, I said that I I do, like I just don't – I just don't know if I think that you go into like if there are – demons although the idea of lucifer i have a very soft spot for satan i really do (laughs) (laughs) wrong elaborate on that i mean he like he's like so god is the writer he he like purposely set up a protagonist and a villain i feel like he set him up to be a villain you know and so he was like i need a villain for this story i'm gonna choose this poor soul who just wants my love um it's the same thing i talk about with um 
the Garden of Eden. I'm like, he, he was just offering them fruit. What the fuck? Like, yeah. I don't know. I, What's with these passive aggressive texts <laughs> for everybody, God, for fuck's sake. Yeah. I love that tweet that's like, Jesus died for my sins. Like, that's manipulative. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't ask him to do that. Right. Um, Jesus is a witch. Jesus is. I love the. I love the concept of all of these. I actually love. Mm-hmm. I'm not a practicing Catholic. Love the concept of Jesus. Actually, a very great person. Christians oh, yeah. debatable, but like actual Jesus is great. If, um, if Christians actually followed the teachings and the example set by. Uh, the person they claim they you know, they claim to follow if they they actually followed the teachings of Christ, uh, my negative opinions on Christianity would be mm. almost non-existent. Yeah, you, it's hard to argue with like be cool with everybody, don't judge everybody, everybody's equal, everybody's lo- love everybody as you love yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, d- why not? You know, but that's not in any practical execution of 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 his teachings that I've ever witnessed. Uh, yeah. I, I guess can't my, argue with you. My my final question for you here is uh it would be good if I could remember it, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be good. I, I have a good well, I want to jump off off of what we were just talking about for a second. I don't think cryptids uh are a thing. I don't think they really exist. We're just we're at that point where again, everybody has the best high quality camera in, in their pocket. We've ex- there are huge swaths of of uh you know forested land and stuff that that hide secrets, but we've been through so much of it. We would have seen something for reals by now, but where, where I do think there's still chance to find things that might be considered mythological is the ocean. And we're starting Mm -hmm. to see that with Mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the, the giant squid was mythical, but now we've actually found it, you know, in the deepest depths of the ocean, there's huge uncharted, you know, uh, swaths that Mm -hmm. we can't get to that we can't see. Uh, so of course there's shit in there that we've, we've never seen, or we've only glimpsed in, you know, in, uh, uh, passing, you know, I think that that's where we're going to find our, our, uh, kind of myth creatures that still exist are going to be somewhere deep in the oceans. Did y'all see that documentary about the school kids in South Africa that all saw the aliens? Yes. No, I I know what you're talking about. Yes. And so what's fascinating to me about that is like it's these I'll have to find the it keeps getting taken off YouTube I wonder what they don't want us to know <laughs> everything it's like copyrighted it's got an um, Aerosmith song in it. I know <laughs> um well anyways these these school kids they all saw these aliens um that came down and it was just like they were far off in a distance and they said they said they came down and we're basically like you're destroying your planet you like what you're doing, you can't sustain, you have to change it. And they left and that was it. And they came down and I think they, they picked kids specifically because they're like, the the adults are fucked. Like we're not even going to try with them, but y'all are the future. You need to do something about your planet. And then they were like, and we're out. Like we're not, we're not sticking around here. And I'm like, that makes the most sense to me. And we did nothing with that information, but we, (laughs) cause that was in the nineties, I think. Right. Um, And they interviewed the kids like a decade or two later and they still said, no, I, they all have the same description of the aliens. Uh, I think it was only like just a couple of them and they came down and they told them that message and they took off. And, and I'm like, yep, that sounds like they would be driving by like, let's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, honey, roll up the windows. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, I feel like if that's the case, like, Aliens aren't 
paying attention much. Like, um, if your plan was to come to this planet and talk to kids because adults were probably too far gone, you know, there's there's a, a, a like a big thing you're overlooking there in that. Well, the adults are still in charge and they're not going to listen to kids. No, but they won't be. I mean, within 10 years, those kids were in their 20s, you know? And so, like, I think that's what they meant. But they also have their own shit. It was very clear that they had fucked up their, they had, they were like, they had messed up their planet too. And it was not, I don't have to send you the thing, but it was, it was. (laughs) I'm I'm familiar, I'm familiar with the story. And and it's not like um, this, you're right. It wasn't a case of like, you know, two or three kids claimed to have saw something. It was like 20 kids plus a teacher or two. And I know what you're talking about. It was in Africa, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I want to say it was like tele, it wasn't like the aliens were speaking out of their like mouth holes. No, it was like telepathic. telepathic. They said yeah. they like put this message into their head basically in a way that they could understand, which was like, Hey, you're, you're fucking up your planet. And I think we had only started talking about stuff like that then. And, um, and then they left, but I also don't expect them to be keeping the insane amount of tabs on us that we think that they are. I think they're like, if you do believe in them, I think they're dealing with their own shit and probably not. It's like how, what it's like us looking at an animal species or something of like meerkats. Like, yeah, we might look down at it. Like I'm checking in on you once in a while, but I'm not, I don't know. I'm not working at the meerkat zoo and. No, or to, or to bring it to another uh, Stephen King connection, uh, more like an ant farm. Wow. You know, you look every few days. Yeah. But you're not like, you know, hovering. And I don't care. So I mean, I guess I care about saving you, but like I'm also kind of interested in saving my own. You might get put on the endangered <laughs> right. species list, but like I got to deal with my own shit over here. So. Yeah, right. Oh, I remembered yeah. what my final question was. Um, every time we talk, uh, well, we've only talked about the outsider once, but I think I, I would like to ask this question of anyone who picks the outsider. Uh, on this show, Jason Bateman's character is accused of this horrible crime that he did not commit and, you know, dies for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if what the worst thing you've ever been accused of. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Well, well that wasn't true. That wasn't true. And we, we talked about this when Stephen Graham Jones was on the show. He'd, right. been, he'd been accused of murder. So there's yeah. probably yeah. nothing like you're gonna come up with here that will that will not that will will top that unless right. unless someone claims you burned a planet to the ground. Um, Hilarious. You know, has there been a time in your life when you were accused of something you didn't do, and you know something something sizable, and and how did you react to it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think one of the the shitty things about having a big following online i i have to kind of to promote myself and my career but um that comes with a lot of parasocial relationships i would say yep. people making assumptions of you or making accusations very easily or if you're not a friend enough to them in a way that they think you should be they want access to you they were a fan of yours and if you're not giving them what they want um they that can turn really quickly and so i have had situations like that happen a lot. I know I'm not the only one. I know it happens to almost everybody that's in entertainment. Um, I did have someone that I don't even know. Like I, I, don't, I don't know who it is. Like I literally don't know because they were anonymous. Write another writer saying that 
I uh, was a horrible person. Like they saw us take a picture together um, and they said, you know, watch out for Danny Fernandez. She's a horrible person. She, um, I don't know, they made up all this stuff in there that it was just like, oh, this is someone that clearly hates me, like has, or only knows me from social media. It's someone that has seen pictures of me on the red carpet and made up a narrative about me in their head, like a complete wild narrative. Um, And they were like, she's cost you jobs. She's like telling people you're a horrible person. It was like all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, oh, this this is very easy for anyone to do. That's crazy. And like, I'm very lucky that I feel my reputation speaks for itself. I guess unless you don't know me very well, but like the people that I've, I've been working in this business for almost a decade. I've, I feel anyone that's been in a writer's room with me, been on set with me, like I'm the most sensitive person ever. Like you could be like, you're ugly. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I'm just like so soft and gooey. And like, I speak about that very openly how much therapy and stuff I've done and have to do. And so this was very traumatizing to me. And it also kind of hurts me that I have to accept that people are going to think stuff of me just by the way that I look, just by the way that they they see me out and about. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. Her life is so easy. Must be so nice. Look at her on this red carpet. She has it so easy. I hate her and she needs <laughs> to be taken down a peg. Like, and so to have, and now I think that other writer holds me at arm's length because really you, Scott, well, Scott, like if you got a thing, you and I have never, we've interacted a little, right? Yes. We've yes. been following each other, but we don't really know each other too, too well. We've never really right. hung out. So if you right. got a thing and was like, Hey, Danny Fernandez is saying like all this stuff, you know me, but you also don't know me well enough that you're like one of my close friends. Yeah, I need to confirm that's, this with that's Danny fair, or but whatever. like, yeah. <clears throat> if something like that happened, then I would come to you and be like, "I heard you were talking shit, bro." Well, that's exactly and, what happened. Yeah, you know, and, and then so, I would, I think I would give you more, even even as lim- in the limited amount that you and I know each other, I would yeah. I would give you credence over some fucking rando on the internet. If Steven Spielberg messaged me and was like, "Yo." <laughs> <laughs> This one's a fuck. Oh, dude, <laughs> keep an arm's distance. You know what I'm saying? Like, then I'd be like, wait, what? What's happening right now? But like, in this what scenario, I, will say, I think <clears throat> that it feeds into the paranoia that a lot of us have. Sure, I think it feeds into the is this person d- does this person like me? Sometimes I don't get invited to like I'll see people you know in our community or other writers and stuff hanging out. I'm like, oh, I wasn't invited. Do they not? like me they must not you know and it's like whatever they're just not thinking of you they're closer than to these people than they are to you who gives a fuck but we make up a lot of these scenarios in our head and i definitely fucking do having anxiety i know most people in entertainment do and so it feeds into this paranoia that we already kind of have and so i'm just aware now i've watched it happen to a lot of other people and i just need to accept it i just need to keep mm-hmm. being myself I cannot combat, you know, if this DC comic comes out and people don't like it and whatever, and Danny is a horrible person, or I don't know, like, I just need to accept every, Stephen King goes through that. You know, some of our Mm -hmm. favorite actors go through that, the people that we've listed a name today. And so- Anyone that is forward-facing. In the public eye, yes. Yes, as a a public persona, you you are boned to a certain degree with some percentage of the population. And it's not anything you've done. It's just, you know, someone out there, if you 
if you get to a certain level of recognizability or people know your name, mm-hmm. um, there's absolutely going to be a percentage of people out there who just, you are their fucking worst enemy somehow. Yeah. And you've yeah. never even thought about this person. Like that's, you're right. That That is just a thing you got to deal with. You know, there's no no way around that, I don't think. I think the only way around it is to keep being myself so that every time people are working with me, it's like they just don't, they just know me, you know, and that right. speaks yeah. for itself. And, but it does suck. And if it catches me on a bad day, it does suck. It does. No, oh, yeah. You know, and I definitely don't want people thinking that, but I can't control randos, like random no. people on, and, on the internet. And I will media, lose sleep. There's so many fucking people that just like don't know. They don't have the context for, I was, I was tweeting, I I tweeted something the other day, like someone ran a post. It was some fucking comic book movie blog or something that was like saying something about, you know, people are saying that Chris Pratt is homophobic in the Thor Thor trailer, whatever Thor we're up to. I was like, what? Because I had seen that trailer and I didn't see anything homophobic in it. And then, uh, I went and read it and it was just, uh, uh, a bunch of tweets from people that were like, they were connecting Pratt's uh, church to this moment in the Thor trailer that like, I guess if you were squinting at it, you could maybe come up with an argument that it was somehow evidence of him being homophobic, but it was absurd. And I, Mm -hmm. I, and I tweeted about it and said like, you know, I was saying like how absurd it is to aggregate these kinds of, social media posts and present them as news, you know? Mm. And someone popped up in my feed that was just like, oh, so you're saying we have to, you know, we're, we we're, we should silence gay people now or something? And I'm like, that's... Oh, my God. Like, anyone who knows me for more than five minutes would know that's like a ludicrous <laughs> fucking statement that I might be saying something like that. You will not find a more, like, <laughs> left-leaning or more like, I don't give a fuck what you're doing person than I am, you know? Uh, but people like to start shit, you know? Yeah. They like to start shit just to start shit, you know? That person you, in you that email... that wasn't what I was saying. You just want to person- fucking get in an argument. You just reminded me that the person in that email said, and I, I just happened to notice that she seems to, she just wa- silences queer people of color. And I'm like, I am a queer person <laughs> of color. Yeah. In fact, that's the only people. I did have someone funniest wrapping this up. I had the funniest thing this guy tweeted and was like, Danny Fernandez is racist, but like, like tweeting all this stuff. And of course, people are nosy, like, oh, really? Tell us. And he was like, she only helps people of color. I tried to send her, it was like a, a white guy. He was like, I tried to send her my script and she wouldn't read it and i'm like that <laughs> okay i'm like all of y'all and it was funny because everyone leaned in and was like tell us and then he was like she only helps people of color and then he was like oh no okay no. well <laughs> you instantly like, not- uh reverse milkshake ducked yourself on this one buddy Good i was job. like also, that's not true. I want to say to everyone listening, but I do happen to a lot of the people I mentor because if I'm if I'm not, if we're not mentoring each other, we literally have no mentors. So right. like I am a mentor for for multiple women of color and like I because I needed a mentor when I was starting out. And so yes, I am helping my own community. Um but it was just funny that everyone was like, "Oh, do tell" because they just want drama and stuff. And then it was like, "Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> she's you're a racist and she's a good person." Um, so anyways, it's, it's dumb. People, people say a lot of, a lot of things and 
it seems like Twitter might be disappearing anyways. So, so if you were accused of murder, as Terry Maitland was, do you think you would do you, you would you react explosively to this or would you be calm? I feel like I would melt into a ball. Like I feel I would be, <laughs> I would, <laughs> I would be inconsolable. That's probably the word I would use. Right. So you would well, react. You would react with with grief rather than rage or yeah, yeah. You know, silence. But I, I feel somebody there would be entire blogs of like, see, she's grieving because she knows she did this. She's crying because <laughs> she feels guilty. <laughs> Yeah, there's right. the there's really no TV special on that right. front. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I think that the way that it's handled in the the book and the the series is exactly kind of right. You is that it's, a, it's the reason why Jason Bateman's the perfect person to cast in this cuz that kind of shocked like what? You know, it's almost <laughs> arrested development level, you know, his reaction to being accused of uh, of this where it's just like complete disbelief and just non-comprehension. Almost it's like, well, of course, you know, like, I don't understand the words coming out of your mouth that way. That That's the way it is. And then it, you know, I'd like to think that I'd be the the smart guy that goes like, can just center yourself and be like, yeah, OK, this is a bad situation. I obviously know I didn't do this. So what do I need to do to, you know, prove my innocence now who I don't t- talk to the cops and I, I hire a lawyer, you know, like and I try to do that. And, and honestly, in the past, in crisis mode, I very rarely been lost in, in crisis. Mm. But everybody's had that moment where they just feel like everything's turned upside down. I remember when I got laid off from uh, Rooster Teeth, like I was just there was. A, a two hour period where I was just kind of like sitting in my car going like, like in the parking lot. I wasn't there for two hours, but it was like 20 minutes in the parking lot. And then like the drive home, I was just sitting there going, well, what's next? I don't know what to do. Like, I just don't mm. completely lost. Mm-hmm. I've been there, but like for the most part in my, uh, every time I've been hit with a crisis scenario, I, I get into like, let's roll up the sleeves and get to working mode. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that that's, how I would respond to something like this. What about you, Scott? Would you just fucking scream at the gods or would you? Yeah, I talked about this in the the last time we did the outsider, but I think that my, I react very poorly when accused of something I did not do. Yeah. Like you will be able to tell, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's, it's a massive tell. Like I get real mad real quick. Like if someone is insisting I did something I did not do because I have been accused of shit I didn't do. And I, I, I've, I've, I've suffered consequences before for shit. I didn't do, you know, mm-hmm. like ins- insignificant little things, but you know, shit, when you're like a teenager that sort of beats that into your head of like, you better, if you, if you got accused of something you didn't do, you better let them know, you know, that like, that's the, the instinct for me. So I, I, I think I would react with uh, a lot of anger and it would probably be detrimental to my overall case because I would not <laughs> react reasonably to that. Um, and you would speak without your lawyer present. It would be, <laughs> well, no, I, I have a lawyer and <laughs> I know very well to just, you know, no matter what, you know, shut up until the lawyer gets there. And then, mm. then they talk on your behalf. You know, I, yeah. I mm. know that rule very well. Um, uh, one of the pleasures of being a former drug addict, 
But <laughs> I think that if I were locked in a little room and people were like yelling in my face about something I didn't do, there's no fucking way that I would just sit there and be calm about it. I would, I would lose my shit and it wouldn't be like crying. It would be like yelling and it would just make me look worse. So fingers crossed. I never get uh, accused of murder or like an arson or, or anything, you know, serious. Like <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, fingers crossed for us all. Thank no you. murders. And so I guess that brings us to the point in the show where, uh, this is, this is your time. Um, what, uh, where can people find you? What are you working on now that you want to draw people's attention towards whatever you want to say? Oh, let me just go on a tangent. No. Um, <laughs> like I haven't this entire time. This whole time was my time, but I appreciate you. Um, of course. I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez on social. Please be nice. Um, <laughs> I- <laughs> Uh, what else? Oh, yes. Um, the Pride issue for DC Comics is coming out for Pride, which is June. It might technically come out May 31st, maybe. I don't know, digitally. But um, yeah, I'm writing a Harley Quinn Poison Ivy story in there, and I hope you enjoy it. it has really great art by Zoe Thurgood, and um, I'm excited about that. What else? Charity. You can donate to Border Angels. It's one of my favorite charities that helps um, – on the border getting supplies uh, to immigrants. And um, I don't know. Be kind to each other. Rewatch The <laughs> Twilight Zone. Most Almost every episode is relevant. Monsters <laughs> Are Due on Maple Street is entirely too relevant. It's hmm. painful how relevant it is. but Indeed. And also, I know another uh, cause that you're very passionate about is people always leaving five-star reviews. Uh, there you for go. Podcasts on on on, on iTunes, and and so I want to thank you for your support, specifically that people leave five star reviews of the Kingcast on on iTunes. That's that's uh, I know that's been just, a cornerstone uh, even before we existed. That was something you were pushing on people, and I want to thank you for that. I just yeah, feel that's where not we got enough. the idea, the name for the the show. That's too. true. That's true. Yeah, I just feel like not not enough people are brave enough to talk about it, and so I feel <laughs> you know it's just my cross to bear personally. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate you, uh, you know, supporting the cause. But thank you so much for being here today. This was a fucking blast. And uh, hope to get you back at some time. And looking forward to all this stuff you're doing for uh, HBO Max and DC and the bazillion other things you seem to be working Hell on. Hell yeah. Many thanks to Danny Fernandez for joining us to once again kind of look at that weirdo, the outsider. Uh, that mm-hmm. was a really fun episode. I was really, really uh, pleased by the chaotic energy that she she brought to the show. Yeah, I think we're going to get dinged for going uh, pretty far off topic on this one. But, <laughs> um, you know, uh, folks, we're here to serve the guests. And sometimes, you know, that means uh, going off on more tangents than usual. But we were uh, thrilled to have that conversation with Danny. I would not be opposed to having her back. Uh, I thought she was great. and. Uh, If you're worried about us not being on topic enough, guess what? Next week's main feed episode is bringing the substance. Do you want to you want to tell the folks at home about that, Eric? The Outsider was a fairly big book and uh, and it was a very broad discussion. This is a way more focused discussion. We are looking at Stephen King's Crouch End. And if you're a an eagle eared listener to the show, you will remember that we had a very popular guest on that. We kind of gave this assignment to like, Oh, you should read this. And this guest did and uh, wanted to come back and talk about it. So mm-hmm. um, I will. So the, as far as hints, that's a pretty big one. If, if you were paying attention, this is a director 
Mm-hmm. This is a I don't know what else what else can you say? Made I think those one of are... the best movies of last year. That's true. Loves Prometheus. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. So it's a good guest. Great title. This is, of course, uh, King's kind of delving into Lovecraft territory mm-hmm. and uh, Wampler's favorite short story, I think. Yes, and- we, uh, we 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 did an episode on this one very early in the show's run, but it's so far back in the archives. We're, we're assuming that no one's no one's going back to the very <laughs> beginning. Surely at this point, we, you know, we're always happy to talk about Crouch End. And I definitely wanted to hear what this particular person had to say about it. And they did not disappoint. So that's exciting stuff for this week's bonus episode on the Patreon. Um, we are due to deliver a commentary to you folks in the gunslinger tier. But the guest we had lined up needs a few more days to be able to record. That's going to mean we're going to have to bump it to next week. So we're going to be a week late on that. Sorry in advance. Um, But uh, it'll be worth the wait. Big title. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll go ahead and and tell you. uh, We're doing the dead zone. Doing a little Cronenberg action. Uh, And the. Well, we'll save the guest for 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 next week. Next week's announcements this week on the Patreon. Eric and I are going to be talking about what's going to happen at the Overlook Film Festival. We were invited out by these folks to um, participate this year. We put together an awesome screening with uh, with Mick Garris, a 30th anniversary screening of Sleepwalkers. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to tell you uh, how this all came together, uh, what we have planned for it, uh, announce a meetup after the thing for those of you coming in town. So uh, definitely tune in for that on Friday. If you're not already subscribed to the Patreon, head on over to patreon.com backslash the KingCast right now and get signed up. You're going to get commentaries, uh, dozens upon dozens upon dozens of backlogged bonus episodes, as well as uh, the entirety thus far of our Stephen King RPG Shelbyville. Mm-hmm. Rate and review us on iTunes, five-star reviews only. We are desperately trying to finish this recording because we have another one that's starting in one minute. But um, thank you for being everyone. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being everyone this week. Thank you for be. Uh, fuck. I almost did it again. Thanks. Thanks. I'm just going to say thanks. And we'll we'll see you next week. Yeah. See you next week for Crouch and bye. The King cast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted and created by Eric Vespi. That's me. And Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.